James, I just came back from from Venice. Right. It was Venice. Wow. Yeah. Um, That's maybe the quickest we can get someone to turn off the show. Like, they hear that pun and they're just like, you know what? The show is not for me. I'm considering it. <laughs> in in reality, though, it was very special. It's, it's a one-of-a-kind city. Mm-hmm. Now, I struggle to think of anything else where everywhere is a boat. Everything is a boat. So, police, boat. School bus, boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, ambulance, fire service, taxis. Everything is a boat. And either you do that or you walk. Or you swim. And the main thing is, neither of us fell in. That's the big so part, yeah. I was relieved about that. Like, genuinely relieved. Professionally done. The one thing we did uh, we did do, which was a new one for me, and this will, bear with me, uh, folks, and we are going to talk about this later on with a, a Blackpool player uh, who came out. I held hands with Graham okay. in public right? basically every day. Okay. Which is a big deal. Yes. And what I didn't expect and what I didn't enjoy was people staring. Right. That was not fun. Yeah. And basically, you got one of two things, right? And this is something that, you know, as, as, as straight people, I don't think you... You know, obviously no one bats an eyelid if you're just straight mm, people no, hanging around, no, walk, straight holding people hands. can hold hands and they don't get looked at. So this was not... I didn't really enjoy that. this aspect. There was one of two things, right? Either... It was a look, uh, the people walking towards us, looking, noticing. Right. And sometimes, sometimes, even flash a smile. Okay. They did, it did tend to be younger-ish people. Right. Or, or sometimes, you know, the, the fellow gays who were in Venice. Only, there were very few, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, only a few rainbow flags right, to yeah, you know, yeah, show, yeah, that, yeah. show that solidarity. But what it tended to be mainly was older people staring in a way which is very much like that's yeah I don't I don't approve of that that's not that's not on right yeah I didn't enjoy that at all no. it was very uncomfortable I mean both are unpleasant right even like if it's supportive looking I still would prefer to be invisible <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the thing is like I had um I most of the time had sunglasses on because everything and I mean first of all it was sweltering it had to take a couple of days where we just after lunch went inside for a couple hours because it was too hot to do anything but. It's so bright and everything reflects off the bright pavement mm-hmm. that I just wore sunglasses everywhere. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, with the sunglasses, you couldn't actually see my eyes through it. Right. So I was able to see what people were doing, even though they were unaware that I was looking directly at them. Right. So that that kind of made me f- more aware of it than I would have if I was just like looking around with my eyeballs out, out on display. Mm-hmm. So that's something which uh, I know I've talked on the show before about uh, a couple of times where we've been uh, homophobically abused, right? Which also also would not recommend. But being stared at was a new one, so wasn't sure how I felt about it. I feel it's probably it's still it's probably a step up from just abuse. <laughs> eh, well, it's it's just a bit uncomfortable as opposed it to is, you know anything yeah. upsetting. And like it's a shame that even now, um, in most places, it is still just not normal in the eyes of the population. People on the yeah, street yeah. don't see a gay couple and think nothing of it. It still is a very visible thing. And that goes for people who very visibly don't like it and the others who very visibly like it. Whereas the ideal is just kind of like, be normal, please. Just treat it all like normal. Yep. That, I mean, that would be great. I believe in some places we are moving towards that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. It's, it's a slow process. Yeah. Another thing that the Venetians are yet to get on board with and... <laughs> We did know this um, before we left. They're not so fond of them vegans because they do quite like their fish and their cheese oh, yeah. and their meat. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Uh, so 
so Graham essentially was a vegetarian for uh, for the trip uh, and had lots yeah. of uh, I mean, spaghetti arabiata, which right. basically pasta and tomatoes. Which, to be fair, was maybe the tastiest ones he'd it's had. It's going to work out. But, uh, yeah, that, that was one thing which, you know, I appreciate. It's Italian, and they, they kind of sneer at people I like mean, that. I mean, culture and all that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can understand, but, it, yeah, being limited is, is tough. I, I would highly recommend it if you are, regardless of, of uh, sexuality, <laughs> it's good. It was a really special trip, and uh, we went out to... Even if you're straight, even you if you're straight, You will feel comfortable holding hands with another person. Even if you're not a vegan, <laughs> you can go to Venice. If you, if you like fresh seafood from the Adriatic, Venice is the place for you. <laughs> but we also, um, we did go out to some more unusual parts of Venice, because, you know, it was, it was a good time to go. May is a good time to go, because it's yet to get to properly rammed tourist season and it's yet to get to so hot you you can't move season and so you know the most we queued for anything was 15 minutes which was great nice no you, you find the right time to go another thing which happened which does tend to happen when i go abroad is americans whatever the opposite of enhance is degrade Continue to individual Americans, not the whole sweeping nation. <laughs> don't you dare generalize, Colin. That's what this podcast is for. <laughs> we don't make sweeping broad statements anytime. That's not exactly our goal ever. No. So um, some Americans, I should say, who, for example, behind us in the queue for this tower, St. Mark's Tower, the tallest building in Venice with some beautiful um, views from the very top, queued behind us for you know, 15, 20 minutes only get to get to the ticket office to say, uh, hi there. Can I buy a, a a ticket for this other building on the other side of the square? <laughs> mm-hmm. The guy at the office would be like, uh, n- "No, mm. you need to go to to that building yeah. if you want to get into that building." Yeah, it's not like a Disney World. Uh, and that, <laughs> it's an actual place. I think maybe she thought she was being really smart, but the the thing was, you know, she didn't even stay in the queue. She just was like, "Oh, okay," and left. <laughs> So, yeah, amongst other I mean, sound bites from the trip. And based off of that one person and a few others, Americans are really stupid. All, all of them. All, all of- <laughs> Even the ones who I am good friends with, who are deeply intelligent so people. stupid. Just, just stupid people. But anyway, that besides, thoroughly enjoyed it. And then, of course, came back to work and realized I have so much to do and so much to catch up on. Yeah. And, uh, including this podcast, which has right. more news items than... <laughs> Probably. Yeah, this is going to be a bit of a, a bit of a push. This one. Oh man. Well, at least we've got through the preamble fairly quickly. This is Seesaw Parade, episode two eight five. I'm Colin, and he is James. Indeed. At Fair James on Twitter, if you want to send him abuse, and welcome to Scotland's longest running season one yeah. of any. Yeah. Scottish entertainment slash news slash politics slash yeah. uh, Rangers in the Europa League final podcast. In history, hosted by people called Colin and James. Absolutely. I mean, we could get more specific. We could, but let's stick with Sweeping and Broad. <laughs> this is, of course, uh, your new favourite podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And officially less popular than... Americans. Th- that will do. That will do. I, much better than what I was about to say. 
And thank you very much for listening. And thank you very much to everybody who got in touch. Uh, we had uh, Anthony, who has finished his uh, going back in time and listening to old Seesaw oh, Parade episodes. You shouldn't have done it, but well done. I, I, I did warn him, but he yeah. replied, um, he messaged me and he said, I have finished episode 99, which I believe was the last one until I made it private. All those first 99 episodes are gone. And uh, he's quoted us here. Okay. And apparently we said... If you listen to our earlier episodes, they're not very good. Yeah. And then you replied, well, these ones aren't very good. <laughs> I was correct. And uh, yeah, uh, Anthony adds, pretty much sums it up, but they were certainly entertaining. Whatever <laughs> happened to episode 199 being North Korea Live? Oh, oh, I forgot about North Korea Live. I didn't even, I forgot we even mentioned doing that. That was probably one of our most realistic promises. We have done, I mean... It's been a while since we have done alcohol live. Wow, uh, yeah, risky stuff, that one. <laughs> Depends how much you've had. Very and comparable to North Korea live. Not far off it, to be honest. We, well, we, we're going to talk about, should we talk about COVID in North Korea? Should we add that to the list? We should. Oh, we should. <laughs> dozens of things to talk about. But thank you very much. And no, North Korea live is yet to happen. But who knows? Who knows what we've got in store for 299? Yeah. How about that? Well, dear listener, you can get in touch with us at Seesaw Parade on Twitter or seesawparade at gmail.com for things longer form. And James, we did have some feedback on our discussion last week about, uh, or two weeks ago, about Roe v. Wade, which I want to 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 feedback your way. Uh, both of whom uh, are going to stay anonymous on the pro-life side, who felt that some of your statements were, as we've talked about, too sweeping or broad. So, for example... Hyperbolic, for example? <laughs> pro-life people aren't pro-life, or they don't mean to save life at all. And also some pushback on this idea. Uh, there's nothing in religious texts about um, about abortion. So, for example, the argument being if you believe life starts at conception rather than birth, then abortion would be classed as murder. And okay. every religious text says something right. about murder. So I, I wanted to ask if you had any reflections on those points in particular. Do those same religious texts say that life begins at birth? I don't know. Okay, so I don't know either. So... The point can't be if you believe something, then the religious part covers it. It has to be the religion says this, and therefore this is also true. Uh, as far as I'm aware, as far as the Bible goes, uh, there is a literally a how to do abortion passage in the Old Testament uh, as a test for whether a child is legitimate or not. And if it's illegitimate, the child gets killed. There is. That's pretty, it's pretty gnarly. I don't like it. Um, and people are like, well, it's God's judgment. But it's like one of the only direct references, as far as I'm aware, to things like abortion. And it is sanctioned in the Bible. Um, I don't honestly think that I said anything extreme when you consider, like I said, hyperbole. We're using uh, strong language uh, and sweeping statements as a means to to express a point. And maybe I have... right misdone that. Maybe I've missed the mark uh, by a fair bit. I don't think that every single person who is pro-life is deliberately being a monster, right? Because a lot of people are misinformed. A lot of people's uh, views on what is functional for reducing harm to uh, mothers and also to potential uh, life in their eyes uh, is incorrect. Because if you look at the stats, you see things along the lines of access to abortion actually reducing the total number of deaths which is why yeah, when yeah. you're saying things like abortion needs to be illegal is it is proving that it's not coming from a pro-life standpoint it is coming from a, a criminalized abortion standpoint because it's not an effective means so right, like so all of these 
Okay, go, go, go. So, so just on the criminalizing point, because I would like to clarify my own stance as well. I listened back to it. I didn't feel I explained it particularly well. So just on that point, because that's where I feel strongest, the criminalizing yeah. uh, imprisonment stance. I mean, what's going on in the States does not affect me directly at all. And my view is already far less valid uh, by anyone you know, for anyone who lives there. And also, I'm a man. But my main concern <laughs> is that if this does go through in June, then certain Republican-led states will begin criminalizing... No, they are. They're going to. They've said ...and so. imprisoning women who get an abortion. And, and similarly... It's already happened. Yeah, well, so <laughs> Someone... I'll get to that. And similarly to... I know this is not quite comparable, but locking up drug addicts in Scotland, where we have the worst drug-related deaths in Europe, mm-hmm. that, to me, chucking people in prison... It's absolutely the wrong way to go about it because many well, of these people. Simi- it is similar as well, yeah. Many of these people need rehabilitation, education, yeah. Yeah. financial support, yep. help. Yep. As mentioned last week, the majority of those people in the States getting abortions are the very poorest people and potentially putting. They need those same things. Right. And putting women in prison for getting an abortion, many of whom are uh, vulnerable, some of them in a position as a result of rape, as a, an abusive partner, even worse, incest. Imprisonment, in my mind, the totally wrong answer, particularly as we saw recently in Texas, the tail end of last year, with Lizelle Herrera, who miscarried. And was then arrested on a murder charge. And the charges were then later dropped. But that is my worry. Yeah. Is that the route... And as I say, this does not affect me whatsoever. But my concern is the route that some of these legislators will go down imprisoning women. As well as, as we we mentioned, and this is where I do have more... No, no, not say say, but more weight, more um, lived experience, the potential knock-on impacts for equal rights. Yeah. And, you know, friends I have in the States who are gay and married for example. So if you, dear listener, have your own view and would like to to get in touch, then the email is the best way to do it. Seesawparade at gmail.com. We want to have these varied points of view. Yeah, if you want to remain anonymous, you can remain anonymous. That's that's fine. Um, The the drugs example there is like the perfect one because, well, it's not exactly the same, of course, because like a fetus isn't a drug. Right. Uh, But when you criminalize a thing, then we completely lose 100% of the chance to intervene. So drug users, if we just criminalize it, they just abuse. They don't ever ask for help because it's criminal. All of those things, it just makes the problem worse. Right, right, right. Uh, If you want to reduce abortions, criminalizing it and making all the women who want an abortion hide things and keep it secret and travel different places and uh, try and buy pills off the internet and stuff like that, we lose all the chances we have to intervene. So if you are pro-life and not just anti-abortion, you can be pro-reform to encourage uh, better practices for providing education, uh, even free contraceptives, uh, to providing all the like support, financial or otherwise, that potential mothers would need to kind of make their decisions. Sure. I don't see people doing that. And... Again, that there, I don't see people doing that. I'm talking about all the super loud people who are outside of abortion clinics threatening to blow them up and stuff like that. It's a very specific crowd. So we're being hyperbolic and we're trying to tag a whole crowd as as not not sensible. If you feel like you're someone who is pro-life, who is sensible, consider a better like 
label for yourself for starters. And for seconds, obviously I'm not talking about you. If you're not outside of an abortion clinic threatening to explode it, when I then describe the pro-lifers as extremists, I'm probably just talking about the ones threatening to blow up buildings and kill people. Uh, And also, for example, the people on the other side who go to the judges' houses and leave graffiti outside like... We're coming for you. Indeed, some of that, oh, some of that is is also uh, illegal, you know, and can be prosecuted. But pr- pr- but it's, it's it's the same. Like, like we shouldn't we shouldn't outlaw protest. It doesn't matter where it is. Indeed, um, it's about it's about reforming things and having the right ideas. So, like, I've got all. I, I do say things very strongly, and I do apologize if anyone feels deeply offended because you've got moderate views and you feel like I targeted your moderate views on these things. Um, but if you. If your only view is criminalize abortion and you don't have any other say in the matter, I would encourage you to reflect on your view, look at the stats, look at your beliefs, um, whether they be religious or not, because we also have to apologize for that. I think I overstated by saying that all pro-lifers are religious. Fair enough. There are, of course, people who are not. Indeed. And James, seeing as we've started very heavy, shall we go and talk <laughs> about the Ukrainian war? Yeah, this is supposed to be brief. I think we take about 15 minutes already. <laughs> Right, come on, let's let's go. Let's get straight into the fun stuff. Okay, James, uh, let's talk about the ongoing Russian invasion yeah, yeah. of Ukraine. And once again, it's it's a summary of the headlines, and then I'll get into some of the uh, stories okay. that have happened over the last couple of weeks. So as of, and this is Wednesday evening, uh, the 18th of May, And the EU has today said it's going to spend up to 300 billion euros to end its reliance on Russian gas and oil by the next five years, 2027. The bloc, which currently gets 40% of its gas from Russia, is planning to get its energy from other countries and boost renewable energy. We've also had today the first Russian soldier accused of... A war crime. He shot dead a 65-year-old Ukrainian civilian. Yeah. Uh, pled, pled guilty mm-hmm. in a trial. The 21-year-old uh, yeah, admitted the killing days into the invasion. It's the first of what's expected to be yeah. uh, several dozen trials in Ukraine. <laughs> Who knows how many. Oh, exactly. And then we go on to Mariupol. Now, this okay. city has been under siege for months. And in the last few days, we're finally getting... Uh, movement. It seems like the Russian forces have finally taken the city. Yes. And the defense ministry have said that almost a thousand Ukrainian fighters have been taken from the Azovstal steelworks, where right, they were holed yeah. up for several weeks, and taken to Russian-controlled territory. Uh, Ukraine calling for a prisoner swap, but uh, Russian politicians says these Nazi criminals oh should be tried in court. So, James, let's start with what's happening on the ground, because there's Mariupol, of course, the city which has been besieged for weeks now, perhaps over a month, rather than talk about EU sanctions on oil and gas, because those will continue for some time to come. Which are really effective. We've also had, in the last few days, Ukrainian soldiers retaking the northern city of Kharkiv. Indeed, yeah. They posted pictures online of them standing next to the border. So that's uh, good, pushing back those Russian troops there. Yeah. So looking at the big picture, where are we? It's just a continuation of the previous weeks wherein Russia has stopped trying quite so hard at a few of the objectives that were obviously terrible um, and and not effective. And they're trying to squeeze out a few of the objectives that maybe... They have a bit more of a foothold in and they do have a lot of territory that they still occupy and they still have a big presence in. 
Um, and this is just the, your, the Ukrainian response is obviously to keep fighting back uh, in the places where Russia was the weakest and then prepare to fight harder in the other, in the other places. Like it's, it's a huge shame to see, uh, the very bold defense of this final steel plant come to an end. But I, uh, I'm sure that there will be some level of relief as well for some people in there because yeah, yeah. They, you know, they're not dead. <laughs> uh, and I just hope that they don't get this false trial that the Russians are threatening and they do get this prisoner exchange that is a far better solution to these problems. Um, Russia is not going to be winning, right? We've established this. Um, no, so, so we'll we'll talk about that in just a second. But yeah. you mentioned the, the the steelworks. This was about ten days ago, in which every civilian had been successfully evacuated. It did take um, over ten days, uh, which the operation, which started with yeah. the help of the UN and the Red Cross, ten days later, everybody, other than the soldiers, got out. And even though the the plant had been heavily bombed, mm-hmm. they held out for essentially a month. And finally now have been taken back to, to Russian territory. And when it comes to, as you say, then Russia not winning. Yeah. It seems to be very clear and that we'll talk about Vladimir Putin's speech on May 9th in just a second. It does seem to be, as predicted, it, it grinding to somewhat of a stalemate with Ukraine taking back the areas it could and Russia making incremental gains and Mariupol being, being one of them. I mean, that city was under siege for... That's weeks been, uh, since day one right? yeah 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 so putin's kind of ignoring it a wee bit publicly uh which is a sign that maybe they are recognizing it's not going as well as they hoped they can't really celebrate a stalemate um yep. i don't i don't know where it goes the hope is that they don't just keep trying more and more extreme measures to force things and they don't you know go for the ultimate uh, nuclear arsenal kind of sol- solution right, right. In quotes. i don't know why i'm quoting i'm in a podcast um <laughs> So it's like a dangerous time because Putin's looking weaker than ever. There's countless new headlines every week about how sick he is, whether he's got cancer or not, how many drugs he's getting pumped with. And the weaker he looks internationally, the more likely he is to be replaced internally, probably by someone even crazier. Um, So it's a worrying future still, even if it hasn't been just a sweeping victory uh, for Russia over an entire country. So you talked about Putin. Let's talk about him now. Every year on May 9th, Russia celebrates Victory Day, which is a commemoration of uh, the Soviet Union's defeat of Nazi Germany in World War II. And in the run-up to May 9th, uh, just over a week ago, there was rampant speculation that this was going to be some sort of signal or it was going to mark the uh, the the first phase of this uh, what the russians are calling a special operation but instead putin did not mention the word ukraine once yeah during his speech or during any of the celebrations and even though uh, he was addressing 11,000 people um 11,000 servicemen in red square he kept the word out of it uh, and some people here that i'm reading in this article from al jazeera have said that he's avoiding the word because it's associated with thwarted hopes and expectations, defeat and trouble. And I would believe that's accurate because, as we talked about before, the Russians were expecting them to just roll in and all the Ukrainian people would be like, oh, great, thanks so much. Can I get a lift? Yeah, 
surely it's the only thing that they thought was that they'd be welcomed. There's no way that yep. seeing how how poor they were uh, planning that they thought there was going to be resistance. So, like, yeah, this has been a failure for him. It's a sign of weakness. So he's he's not gonna he's not gonna try and celebrate it on the, on a big speech. It makes sense. And I I gather that Putin and Russia don't really have any idea about how to exit this war because no. from what I've been reading with the these peace talks, obviously they're going nowhere. Because Ukraine wants Russia to get out of its land, yeah. and Russia are like, no, we're we're in it now, so it's ours. Yeah, I think there are other countries who are encouraging Ukraine to, you know, give Russia some land officially to try and settle the war. But I, I don't think Ukraine's going to want to do that. So no, no, no. Um, what this makes Russia do, who knows? It's, this is this is why it's getting scary. Is because the peace talks aren't going to make progress. Russia doesn't want to admit total defeat. So what do you do? You got to lash out something again, right? angry people lash out when they're losing so I don't know what's next it's scary though okay well let's talk about uh, NATO let's move on to the bigger picture this is the news that Finland and Sweden have both officially submitted their applications to join the North Atlantic Treaty Organization so this is the block of 40 sorry 30 uh, members this military alliance which Finland and Sweden had over the years been sort of like tentative members, but now this was the move to officially join the bit that says if one of us is attacked, everybody joins in. And that's where in previous years, yeah. Finland and Sweden had stayed out of it. They'd been neutral. Yeah. But this obviously has changed because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and because Russia now shares borders or has always shared borders with Finland and Sweden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this yeah. has now... <laughs> change the minds of people in those countries. However, of course it has. <laughs> Turkey's president uh, Recep Erdogan has restated his opposition to this move. Um, hours after they said they would seek membership, he stated that the two should not bother sending delegations to convince Turkey because he doesn't want them. He's not going to he's not going to pass it. Oh. Um, he is angered apparently by what he sees as their willingness to host Militants from the Kurdish re- region. Yeah, okay. And with, obviously, yeah. without the support of every member of NATO, they can't join. Yeah. So th- th- that's a bit of a stalemate. A hard one to a hard one to uh, overcome uh, because that is just Turkey trying to wield a little bit of a poker chip that they've got to t- to try and cash it in. Hey, if you guys want to join NATO, you better start deciding who we think is terrorists. Are terrorists. That's precisely it. So this is a, a quote from him, uh, from President Erdogan who said, neither Finland nor Sweden have a clear open attitude towards terrorist organisations. Right. How can we trust them? And this is after he accused both of them of harbouring members of the Kurdistan Workers' Party, a group that it views as a terrorist organisation. Right, yeah. So they're just trying to wield their little bit of influence um, to get something they want. I don't, who knows? If they want it enough, they could they could block the NATO membership. But I am sure there are other ways to work together to secure uh, Finland and Sweden uh, as uh, and their safety, whether that's NATO or not. I'm sure we can figure it out. If if Turkey blocks the old NATO membership, yeah, we're not just gonna like forget about it. Uh, and the other, but yeah, th- absolutely. The, the right, it's the right thing to do is just to j- join up. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't like NATO. I don't think it's the best thing in the world. I think it's pretty bad overall. I think it's a bit of a imperialist nonsense in some ways. Right. Um, but <laughs> there's not really any other options right now for world leaders. So I can see why they're, you know, 
jumping at it. There's the um, the old famous uh, philosopher slash I don't know I can't remember his name. Is it K K K K C H Ch What Ch Chop Chopin Chutney Ch Chopin I can't Chopin. remember his name. Ch- Charlie Chomsky Chomsky. Chomsky. No, I'm Chomsky. <laughs> I thought when you said old, you meant like Sorry. like dead, like generations ago. No, there was no, the, no, no. Chomsky, he's he's not dead yet. No, and sorry, when I said Chutney and Chopin, I was close. Chomsky, no, I'm Chomsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who good, similarly good had expressed yeah his concern that NATO is still a thing. I mean, NATO, yeah, it's... by its own objectives, should have been disbanded decades ago, but instead yeah. stayed. Uh, that being said, this is one of the... Well, I don't know, the unexpected, uh, oh, I don't want to say advantages or wins. It's not. It's not a great thing to be expanding. However, in the current climate, yeah, exactly. it would make sense for Finland and Sweden to join a, a military alliance that says if Russia invades us, then we've, we've got help. Um, but the UK, who are also a NATO member, has already given security guarantees to Sweden and Finland to cover this transitional period yeah. between them applying uh, to join and actually getting in. Yeah. And also Norway, Denmark and Iceland have also done the same thing, right. uh, who and said that, that they would support them with all means necessary yeah. if they were attacked. And that's an option. I think people forget this. It's not like NATO or nothing. It's like, if you don't get NATO, we can just have like guarantees between independent nations, you know, alliances and stuff. Right. So here's the other thing. And you mentioned, you know, NATO is uh, maybe a bit problematic. On Monday, NATO began one of its biggest exercises ever in the Baltic region next to Russia, involving 15,000 troops uh, spreads across 10 countries. Yeah. And uh, this is done, you know, every single year in different places. Yeah. But let's flip it the other way. If the Russians were suddenly like, hey, we're going to conduct military <laughs> exercises. <laughs> military exercises in Cuba. <laughs> on, the, on the borders of, you know, your countries. Yeah, exactly. Everyone would be up in arms. They'd be like, what? No, you, you can't do that. That's terrible. Yeah. And yet NATO's like, oh, we can do it if we want to because we're all in a gang. No, but we're the good guys. So when we're like flexing on people's borders, it's <laughs> flexing. good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're right, you're right. <laughs> That's and it, what it, they do. That's what they're doing. They're just stripping down, bronzing up and pulling some poses on the border to try and ag- aggravate Russia. If they wanted to just host some exercises and stuff, there's there's a lot of options. You can, you can do these things. You could probably, you know, save the ones that are near Russia for a less extreme time. But they're just showing off that they can assemble that many troops and work together really fast right in the border if Russia yeah. does anything. And like, maybe it dissuades them, but it also is obviously just going to make them upset, which, you know, upset people that shit. We talked about it. Yeah. And even if you look at a map of NATO expansion, I've got one here from the BBC. NATO expansion since 1997. Every country which was in NATO before then is in the West. So you've got Britain, France, Germany, Portugal, uh, Netherlands, Belgium. Everyone since 1997... A bit of a a border. We've got a bit of Norway in the borders. Yeah, there's there's Norway. Near near enough, just just a sea away. Fair enough. But then, since 1997... Every country which has joined is basically next to Russia. It's we've yeah. been expanding eastwards. Like, you know, that's why. That's why, though. It's, it's it's a response to Russia's like general building up of their troops and threatening countries and stuff like that. It all makes sense. I'm not a fan of NATO, but it all just makes sense to me. Okay, right. Let's move on because yeah, we do have a lot to discuss. Let's talk about inflation. Ah, the news today: the prices stuff. are rising at their fastest rate for 40 years. As higher energy oh, bills, and it's Joe Biden's fault. Yeah, <laughs> as higher energy bills hit millions of households, so the UK inflation uh, rate 
is now from the 12 months uh, up to April yeah is at 9%. Yeah. And of course the surge comes as millions of us uh, see unprecedented doubling of our energy costs in some cases. Yeah, which is like it's kind of like I'm not going to suggest anything too shady here, but I think it's kind of weird because gas gas uh costs and and uh, oil costs for these suppliers are like a pretty uh, pretty record low for the UK companies. Yeah. They're they're paying less than they usually do, but we're paying record amounts. Strange, hmm. eh? Anyway. It's weird that. This is on the back <laughs> of six months in a row. Higher fuel and food prices. Diesel now at a record high of £1.80. And petrol similarly high. And we'll talk about this windfall tax in a second because, uh, James, as you mentioned, right, yeah, yeah. Okay. these uh, oil companies who are making, in some cases, record profits in weird a that. time like this. It's very really weird. weird that they're... Yeah, how... Because they're good people. Especially weird that the UK government, you know, voted against it. But anyway, this has yeah, been... Yeah, and they, they want to do what's best for us, so it's like strange. This has been, uh, on this news has been essentially met with shrugged shoulders by mainly the Conservatives. So we had uh, Safeguarding Minister Rachel <laughs> McLean in an interview with Sky, yeah. who said that people should take yeah. on more hours at work or move to a better paid mm-hmm. job to protect themselves ah. from the cost of living. Uh, I hadn't considered that one. I just need a better job. That's, or to that's work entirely more. within my means. You know, if you've already got three jobs. Yeah, which is legal. Definitely legal. We also then had uh, Rishi Sunak, who today has warned that the government has done as much as it can. <laughs> yeah. All right. Tried to try to say there was a computer that made it impossible for him to raise benefits. Uh, the computer just told him he couldn't. Computer says no. He warned that the next few months will be tough. And if you think summer's going to be tough, what about winter? But in a speech, he admitted that uh, he can't pretend it will be easy to cut the cost of living crunch. So thanks, Rishi. Thanks for that really helpful comment. Very, yeah, very. Thank you for being so genuine. I'm glad that we'll struggle and that you can't pretend that we won't. Well, he won't struggle at all. So, I mean, James, this has been, and as I was talking to someone today who I was uh, training, it has been unrelenting the last little while in terms of, you know, pandemic, which is still going on. Yep. In, in America, it was 100,000 people being infected a day, just past the 1 million deaths mark. Wow. Ukrainian war, fuel prices through the roof, energy prices through the roof, inflation now almost at 10%. So things are getting more and more expensive. And mm-hmm. everything is just going up. And of course, uh, wages stagnant. This is uh, well, unless you're an MP <laughs> or you work for an energy firm. Indeed, unless you're one of those things. Where are we with this in terms of what can actually be done? Because it seems like well, we've just accepted defeat. The UK government right. said, "Well, look, we tried, and we can't do yeah, any more. Yeah. So just deal with it." suckers well that's the the question is difficult because what can be done uh, is a lot of stuff but what will be done by the conservatives is nothing Nothing. they're not going to do things they'll wait until the last possible second then do a little mini u-turn to try and keep like it from completely imploding and the whole system collapsing and what they have done is decided to reduce the total number of civil servants in the UK by quite by a margin. 90,000, yeah. Yeah, which will just make everything even less efficient, probably actually more expensive overall for everyone as all the current ones will just have to be paid overtime to do the work that 90,000 other people were Again, doing. So just sorry. Um, just, and it's just the usual non-solution. Just at that point, 
How can you sack 90,000 people and expect things to just carry on? I know they said, oh, Tories. some of this is from COVID and Brexit, but... No, it's just... It's just... Not, not like either of those things have gone away. Yeah, those things are ongoing. Brexit is still a disaster. Yeah. Nothing is going well with Brexit. There's even worse uh, relations at the uh, surrounding the Irish border. Oh, yeah. Um, we are going to need all the help in the world uh, once more and more Brexit keeps kicking in over the years. So just fire everyone and then just depend on everyone who's left to do extra shifts because they need to work more hours so they can live. <laughs> that is that is true. And just to talk about the windfall tax as well. So this was in the wake of the Queen's speech, which, by the way, the Queen was not at because she is having mobility issues. So Dying. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yep, that. She is. I mean, she is very old. She got COVID, anyway. man. She's not going to be... She, like, it's it's it's... Even if she was fully, fully vaxxed and stuff, she's old, she got the COVID, that's it. Uh, she, that just cut like four years off the rest of her life. Uh, yep, probably did. Anyway, this was after the Queen's speech and Labour made an amendment which backed a one-off levy on North Sea oil firms to help hmm. people in Britain. Yeah, because so they made a whole bunch of money. Precisely, because the likes of uh, BP made some, and Shell made profits in the first quarter of something like 20 billion. Yeah. Just in sheer profit. Somehow making more profit than conservative corruption. And despite the fact that that people were saying, you know what, yeah, you, if you made a 20 billion pound profit, you should you should definitely be uh, taxed on that, yeah. seeing as people are, you know, genuinely struggling between heating and eating. Yeah. And instead, it was voted down. Not a single Tory That's they, yeah, voted for this. Because they don't care. To be a bit hyperbolic, but um, yeah, they don't. They don't care at all. Um, they they see the suffering of the people, and then they see the profit of their friends and companies that they're associated with, and maybe future jobs once they quit being an MP. And they go, ah, company, money. And it's as simple as they don't have solutions. Um, I I think they might be reaching the point where they hope to give power to Labour at an election soon, so that Labour can like have to fix the nation for, for 10 years and struggle to do so and then the Tories will sweep back in once things are a little bit better again and take all the credit and blame Labour for all the things that they put in motion themselves as the Conservatives in power a decade ago. So come back here in 12 years for the, the follow-up to that. Right, James, the new cycle continues. Let's talk about the local elections that were held. Classic. Uh, about 10 days ago. In the wake of the council elections, which happened across the UK, turned out not great. However, the Conservatives lost a fair amount of seats, almost 500, uh-huh. and control of 11 councils across the country. Uh, the party lost support to the Lib Dems Mostly. in Southern yeah. England, lost some London councils to Labour, yep. lost a lot of seats in Scotland where the SNP won the most seats again yep. for, again. Yep. I want to say like the 13th year, been a bit too 13 long. years yep. they've been in, in power yep. now. Yep. And uh, in Wales, they lost seats to Labour. Uh, and the PM, Boris Johnson, admitted it had been tough. And then, of course, <laughs> Sinn Féin won the most seats in the Northern Irish Assembly. So this is the party who would Indeed, like to see yeah. a united Ireland. Yes. And they are now uh, the largest party in that uh, particular 
devolved area, but they're still hatching out. Yeah. How's that going to oh, work? Technically, I think they are still outnumbered by non-union everybody else seats. Yes, and that's that's a mess in itself, which I'm sure will continue. So, James, the overall picture of this was you know mixed results. Labour gains were modest. Not not enough. Labour had no excuse to do that, really. Yeah, well, precisely. They were there, but they weren't very impressive. Very limited breakthroughs in Northern England. Yeah. And about 139 seats gained. Yeah. And Sir Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, said his party was on track to win the next election. I mean, kind of true, yeah. But that's... If, if things were to play out at a similar scale, and I know the turnout for council elections is very much less so than <laughs> yeah. politician elections, yeah. but if it were to follow a, a similar pattern, then yes. Technically, yes, they yeah, as long as they don't get like <laughs> done in by Lib Dems again. Which wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, and also, well, also the, you've got Sir Keir Starmer being investigated for a picture of him drinking a beer. Oh yeah, in, in he's going to quit if they find him. Now this was this was really interesting. Sorry, this is a tangent to uh, you know Tories losing seats. Go go go, tangent tangent. This was the the story that the Labour leader was pictured in oh, what is he late twenty twenty one, having a beer with staff inside, which if it was a gathering rather than work, would be illegal. At that time. Yes. And he came out and said, well, right. if the police find me, I will resign. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, you should. And, and everyone's like, yeah, fair enough. And they went to the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg and said, okay, should Sir Keir Starmer resign if he's fined? And he said, um, uh, no, n- I, don't, I don't think so. Because, of course, the implication is, well, if, if he says yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah Starmer yeah. should resign, then so should the Prime Minister. And he hasn't. But people actually have that view, though. People have that view. And it's basically like Starmer told the PM to resign, so therefore he should yeah. uh, if he broke the law. But it doesn't mean the PM should. It just means that Starmer <laughs> should because it's it's him that was insisting it was the right thing to do. And I can people like People have brain worms. I can grab that logic. I can't believe in it, but I can grab it. Oh, man. Just as for the local election results, I mean, this is a, right, yeah. a somewhat of a yardstick as to where British politics is, right? Yeah, we're going to be stuck under the SNP for as long as Scotland is both not independent and England keeps voting Tory. Right. Um, And anyone else who just doesn't actually want proper balances of power and countries to be able to lead themselves. Um, For England, Labour have no excuse to do as poorly as they did. They got some seats, yes, but they should have gotten a lot more seats. They got maybe an average amount uh, of seats. Uh, while while the Conservatives have had embarrassment after embarrassment, this should have been an easy win. I did see them trying to drum up drug policies as not strong enough and stuff like that, which for a Labour Party is embarrassing and should not be done. We need reform, not tougher p- tougher policies. The the Lib Dem Labour agreement did work, however. So we did have Lib Dems winning uh, and Labour winning in seats where the other parties chose to step down and assist rather than compete um, which which would work as well for um, national uh, parliament votes if, if needed so like Starmer's right they're on track for a victory if the conservatives keep messing up and keep putting themselves behind Johnson and he keeps fumbling every week which he has done a record breaking amount of times okay and I, I did see about the, the, the Northern Ireland results did lead to a lot of interesting headlines with people exposing their beliefs yeah. um, for what they are. The BBC's reporting was very... Um, Iffy? Revealing. Iffy and revealing. It showed the intent of the people in charge to label uh, certain things as certain things and to admit to past decisions that they've not really acknowledged before. So 
there's a lot of reading to do about this whole thing. But again, it, it, yeah, like you say, it's it's local elections. Not many people go. It's hard to assume that the whole future is going to look like this. Oh, okay, just one final tangent before we move on to another story. Right. You did mention the SNP there, and this is, this one's an important one for me because, as you say, this is now I believe thirteen years. Of the SNP, a lot of SNP being in charge both at a, a parliamentary level but also as the biggest party in Tons councils. Of councils yeah. uh, the SNP secured overall majorities in Dundee uh, and a few other uh, councils where they have more seats than anyone else. The Conservatives yeah. lost more than 60 councillors. And Douglas Ross uh, said that he believed that Partygate had played a big part in that. But as you say, James, this is the SNP's winning for the umpteenth time. Increased yep. its number of, of councillors by by 22. But this is now more apparent than ever that people are not voting for the party. They are voting for independence. So, for example, in Glasgow, SNP haven't been that good in terms of running the city, uh, making competent decisions and making it look pretty and not just constant works that drag on and on and on. I do always want to grant councils a lot of benefit of the doubt because the Conservatives in Westminster keep lowering Fair how enough. much money cities and stuff have. It is so little compared to what we need. That being said, if people were to look at the policies of these parties, it would you would you could argue that the likes of Labour and the Greens yeah, 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 may actually have been a better choice. That being said, would have been a good choice. Yeah, people still voted in record numbers for the SNP because it is yeah. now in every way a choice between, oh, do we want a party who wants an independent Scotland or do we want to stay in the union? Rather than voting for, wait, which party is better for our city, for our local area? And that to me is a problem. I I do think there's the third side where it's, they're the clear party to vote for if you you don't want the Conservatives in power. Right, right, right. So I don't know how much of it is independence, I think quite a lot. And then there's the elements of people just I hate the Conservatives, I'll vote for the most powerful second party, that's the SNP. And then there's there's there are some people maybe who do like SNP policies and who have benefited from their really centralised, neo-libby, make-everything-not-so-good, but kind of cheap uh, way of doing things. I'm not a fan of it. They don't. They haven't done very many things that I like in, in different councils. Yeah. I, I'd like to find out more things. They did release uh, quite a long time ago now their 10 years of power all the things we did document, which did paint them a pretty good picture. Uh-huh. Um, but but they, they should be doing a lot more after all this time in power. Indeed, yeah. And again, we can we can spend more time talking about them at a, at a later date. Yes. Let's move on. Another new story. This one comes with a content warning. A Tory MP has been arrested on charges of rape and sexual assault and will not be attending Parliament whilst police investigate. So this unnamed man in his 50s was arrested on Tuesday over allegations dating uh, back to 2002 and 2009. And uh, Labour have been calling on the party to suspend him from Parliament, which would mean his identity would become public. I do believe there is a law that means that he has been... His identity is currently withheld. In fact, he's been... Let me go back. He's yet to be charged, right. but he has been arrested. Okay. When he's charged, he will be identified. I mean, that makes sense. Um, like Procedure is there for a reason. Did you see Michael Fabricant's uh, tweet about this? Oh, no, not a Michael Fabricant so tweet. So this idiot 
horrendous Tory MP who is constantly a saying horrible person. a bad person, a genuinely just a bad person, who tweeted earlier yeah. that he would definitely be in the chamber because, and so would all of his other colleagues, because none of them want to be identified as the rapist. That that you know his first concern being his own image paints a picture, and he has said a lot of ridiculous things, and far many many of them are far worse than that. Um, it's it's again it's similar to every other time we've talked about MPs and getting investigated and charged with different things. This is the tip of the iceberg. There is no way it's just a one in a hundred situation. Uh, these are people in power, very often in uh, different parties, different levels of corruption and different levels of evil intent. <laughs> when you become an MP, so it's not going to surprise me. If this is the first of many, many more stories over the years now that people are actually coming forward with uh, with these um, allegations that are actually getting investigated for a change. Uh, he, he's uh, Mr. Fabricant has uh, apologized for his tweet. Right, of course. Yeah, it was in bad taste. <laughs> uh, yeah, something something along those lines. So, uh, yeah, that's that's something which I'm sure will continue to go on. But James, as we've talked about in recent episodes, this is the latest in a long line of sexual crimes committed by politicians yeah. in this country. And, you know, if we see massive amounts of reform in a, you know, having good people lead us, that would be nice. Okay, let's continue on this march through news. And this one comes from Boris. And I would like to talk about this. Uh, talking about oh, home yeah. working, because we've had in the last few weeks... Doing, I think? Jacob Rees-Mogg, who left notes on the desks of civil servants <laughs> oh, yeah. to say, I hope to, to, sorry, I missed you. Hope to see you in the office hope soon. Hope to see you in the office. I'm just like wasting all my time checking all your offices. <laughs> and uh, the Prime Minister has now come out to say that homeworking <laughs> does not work. And to quote him, he says, you spend an awful lot of time making coffee and forgetting what you're doing. Idiot. Walking very what slowly to the fridge, hacking <laughs> off a small just... piece of cheese, then walking very slowly back to your laptop. This is the British Prime Minister. It's just such a self-burn. It's just such an expose again. It just shows us that he's incompetent and that he thinks it's normal to be that incompetent. Yeah. He thinks the average person is as bad at their job as he is because he just eats cheese and, and makes coffee all day. And he's like, well, if I do it, everyone does it. Yeah, he said after this that uh, people should be going back to the office to drive up productivity. No, no. What it is, is go to the office so that all of those buildings remain actually valuable, so that all their <laughs> friends don't lose their investments in unnecessary buildings. That's it. They, they want the city centres to be fully populated so that all of their rich friends with their rich businesses can keep having those rich businesses functional without changing. Isn't There is... Not very much evidence to support that the office is the chief of productivity at this time. <laughs> well, but I've got my tinfoil hat. I don't think right. that he was saying these things and mentioning cheese in particular uh, accidentally. I think this is one of those Boris is trying to steal the Google searches situation again, like he did with those buses that he painted okay. to try and make Boris bus give back a different story. We're going to hear more about Boris eating cheese at lockdown parties. And when people type Boris cheese, nah. he wants them to see these headlines, not a picture of Boris eating cheese and wine. Yep. Very sneaky in that way. Tinfoil is on. Okay. Well, in terms of working from home as well, I know the Tories have notoriously, hey, 
ignored <laughs> independent advice. You know, for example, I was working with the Scottish Human Rights Commission yesterday. Right. Who yeah, are yeah. totally against the UK government's new Bill of Rights, which would actually oh. take away a whole host of rights that we currently enjoy, including the right to protest. Wow. What? The, 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 the Conservative Party wants to remove all of our rights? Indeed. It's like they're not conservative at all. So they, they were very against this and said in their interviews, as uh, and it turns out this is factually accurate, the Tories commissioned an independent report of experts, uh, organisations, charities, yeah. bodies, to yeah. look at the Human Rights no surprise. Act and see, does it work? Does it need to change? And everyone said, nope, it's great. Everyone understands it. It works. All right, got you, got you. Thanks very much. And instead, they said, okay, uh, thanks for that very much. We're ignoring it, and we're doing our own thing. We're changing it. <laughs> so, got it. in the wake of that, all the research and the findings of people working from home is that people largely are happier. And in actual fact, sometimes work more and are more productive yeah. than if they were actually in the office. Yeah. So you, you're right in that this isn't about productivity. It's not about There's no data happiness. Here. It is about buildings, the economy, money. (laughs) People bought a lot of big buildings and they want them to still be valuable. So we can't all be working from home because those buildings need to be valuable. But you know what else they could be is just transformed into housing because you don't have enough of that. Uh, (laughs) They could be transformed into communal spaces because you don't have enough of that. There's a lot of options. It's just less profitable. So we're not going to do those. We're just going to force people to do a thing that they don't want they don't want to do. Yeah. Um, but like you said, it's not about happiness. They don't care about how happy we are. They don't care about how well off we are as as the poor people. It's just about the profits of their friends and themselves. Okay, before we get to some happier news, time to slam on the handbrake and go into something much more serious. This is in the state of New York and another content warning here. Oh, yeah. A gunman who killed 10 people at a supermarket in Buffalo had planned further attacks after his mass shooting at the weekend. This was um, yeah. an 18-year-old uh, teenager who drove more than 200 miles to carry out a racially motivated crime, and his plan was to keep driving and shoot more black people. Yeah. That's uh, according to the chief of, uh, chief of police in the city of Buffalo. The list of victims have now uh, been released. We had a pensioner, we had a former policeman, grandmother, someone who had just left a nursing home where they were visiting their ill husband. <sighs> And one thing I have noticed about the coverage of this, James, which maybe for the first time, is that the name of the attacker has largely been missing. You actually have to All right. search for it. You have to look for it. Yeah. And that has been the the criticism of a lot of the coverage in the past, is that this the attackers were then glorified. They glorified, yeah, yeah. And as they found from this suspect, they... Um, they published a whole host of material. Yeah, it just had a manifesto to, like a lot of the other ones have had recently. Yeah, to go live basically at the same time of his attack. 180 pages of a manifesto yeah. uh, penned by this, uh, allegedly penned by this attacker, in which he describes himself as a fascist, a white supremacist. Yep. And that, to me, is, uh, and as the authorities are confirming here, the reason why he drove to this area, which was essentially for black families and shot and killed 10 people. So this yeah. obviously has been... Uh, it's the worst shooting of the year in the States, and now questions are being asked about why he was not under surveillance, because he'd had some um, some issues in the past. Well, it is a weird question, huh? Because um, the authorities in the UK and US are very good at, like, figuring out who to stop from doing some sort of climate change protest before it happens. They're very good at solving how to put down like a little organized protest here or there. But when it comes to people who are 
pretty publicly posting intent to do harm or plan or the fact that they're planning to do harm they don't seem to really get the nail on the head and they kind of just it just happens and i'm not saying they let it happen i just don't think they've got enough resources pointed in those directions because they more they care about other things more which they shouldn't they should care about these domestic terrorists far more um it is uh, something we're going to see again and again yeah, yeah. while we're not seeing the rhetoric that they're that they're buying into being stamped down and the this white supremacist stuff and this fascist stuff is broadcast all over the internet completely freely it's broadcast even on national television channels in the states specifically completely freely a lot of the things that these uh, attackers manifestos are quoting or right-wing media types uh, conspiracy theories that are pushed by those people and then those same people don't get punished but they are the cause and therefore they should be punished if you had a cult leader te- like encouraging his cult members to do bad things the cult leader would get punished so why are some of these right-wing figureheads who just spout lies and uh racism and terrible theories to encourage violence yeah, yeah. not held accountable i think they absolutely should the, be there is one conspiracy theory which i am loath to give air to is it the, um, the replacement theory a, this replace the yeah, great replacement theory which has been disgusting stuff carlson talks Carlson's about that yeah, one yeah. it's talked about in yeah it's talked about in right-wing youtube circles as though it's legitimate and it is only going to encourage violence and the other thing which i've been seeing you know obviously this this uh, teenager was radicalized online it seemed like he got most of his stuff he posted a lot of stuff in reddit on 4chan on 8chan mm-hmm. on other similar yeah. websites and also, you know, live streamed or attempted to live stream uh, his rampage of of death, and that to me is as we've seen in Christchurch and El Paso. You know, it's it's following a very certain pattern, and yeah. people are are if they're already in that on that path, may well see something like this. And and sure, there hasn't been as much glorification of the attacker this time, and I have noticed that it still is given enough coverage that people who see it think, you know what, I, I I could do something similar. I could do worse. I could do more. Well, yeah, and then you've got all of the anonymous types on the internet who think it's hilarious to, to encourage these things and to, and to make that chaos happen, not because they believe in any of it, but just because they want to cause harm because there are some people whose brains are wired that way. And it, it's going to keep happening because those people do exist there's always going to be this push to cause divide and hatred. And we have to try our very hardest to keep that so rare and so weird that normal people don't encounter it. Whereas right now we have a system where we've got normal people encountering these views on one of the most subscribed to channels uh, in the States. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about another uh, more serious story and then we'll we'll switch things up. This is the news that uh, a Palestinian-American journalist for Al Jazeera was killed by Israeli forces on Wednesday or Wednesday last week, uh, according to both the network and uh, the health ministry in Palestine. Uh, Israeli officials said that the journalist Shireen Abu Akleh was killed in an exchange of gunfire, but were yet to determine who fired the fatal shot. That being said, journalists who were there next to her yeah. uh, said that, uh, and to, to quote one of them here, it was quiet. It was dead quiet. Um, Ali Al-Samadi, who was also injured by gunfire, he told the Washington Post from hospital. And this, to me, James, and from all intents and purposes, seems to be 
essentially a a killing because they were they saw this yeah. Palestinian journalist or a Palestinian American and um attempting to get away with it with oh no she was caught in the crossfire despite wearing a press jacket and the the laws of war being very clear yeah. the journalists and press are are off limits but they just killed her anyway yeah so seeing the pattern of like deaths of civilians medics the press in Palestine and seeing the pattern of who's killed them in the past it's very hard to buy into this being an accident or this being unintended um i i don't personally buy into it i'm happy to wait for forensics people to come to a conclusion but yeah. oftentimes it's kind of hard to prove a thing of this type and it's just horrible and it's just another disgusting act as far as i am concerned it's another reason uh, that we all should care much more than we do it's 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 another point to the hypocrisy of how much we are willing to throw uh, in terms of support and in terms of money and in terms of weaponry into trying to ensure there's peace in Ukraine while we ignore countless war crimes elsewhere and, and deaths elsewhere and attacks elsewhere from countries that we actually support. <laughs> so what are we going to do? Not much. Yeah, there was also you know huge crowds and protests as the journalist's funeral was held in Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which was uh, yeah one of some series of disturbances, and we also had uh, the Labour leader Sakir Starmer. Of course, uh, the Labour Party in this country have been dogged by claims of anti-Semitism for yeah. a long time. Uh, James, his statement was was it enough? Was it did it go far enough? His statement was about as good as I could hope for from a Starmer type in Labour. Um, even the statement that like this that he's pushed out, which you can read, uh, he, it's on Twitter, it's on everywhere. Um, it could be it could be labeled as anti-Semitic because people are just so incorrect about how this all works. So good good statement as far as I am concerned. Uh, there's always room for more, of course. Now, the, the the unrest at the funeral, which I'm using a very BBC word by calling it unrest. Right. It's a, it's the same thing again. There was a planned funeral route that involved, you know, a hearse. Then the crowd didn't let the hearse happen and they wanted to carry the casket. So therefore, they got attacked. And I don't really see the logic from they changed the plan to carrying the casket to to necessitate this massive amount of battering and beating that the people in that crowd while carrying the casket took. If the if, if the Israeli forces were there for peace and competent, they would have been able to guide a crowd of people as well as they would have been able to guide a crowd of people with a, with a coffin in a hearse. So it is just a yet more evidence of incompetence and maliciousness that is intended okay let's move on to other news and let's start with eurovision which ukraine won in a symbolic uh, hey. in a symbolic show of public support following uh, the country's invasion by russia the uh, rap folk band kalush orchestra yeah uh, were given special permission to leave the country and soared to first place with 631 and the uk unbelievably uh, came yeah. second with Sam Ryder's Spaceman uh, soaring to the top, and you, you could argue that in any other year, you might have even won it. Oh, I don't know. I think that's the point, is that he would have won it. I, I heard the track, and I'm not a big fan. Uh, I, I heard several other tracks that I liked more, but hey, it worked. It got all the votes. It got second. 
Uh, I, yep. I, I, I also definitely like the Ukrainian track more, so I would have I would have given that first happily, even on just a musical front. But I understand though why the UK did well, because for years it was very much like, oh no, nobody likes us. But actually, no, it was oh, just yeah. your songs were terrible. This Let's is keep sending off trash. Right. This is a legitimately well-written, a- catchy song. And Sam Ryder, yeah. as a person, Likeable. seems like the loveliest man Yeah, I think going. the loveliness of the person led to a lot of these votes. Uh, and, like, well done. Seconds, very good. It's, it's pretty... It's, it's what we used to get a lot, apparently, according to people who actually watched <laughs> the Eurovision back in the day. Um, so a nice return to form. I really... I really... I would have gone for Moldova. Oh, yeah. That was, that was a banger. Uh, the Serbia track was was incredible in my opinion, and I think one of the least well rated tracks that was actually a, was actually good was the one from France. I think they got done by the votes. I don't think okay. either the judges or the public did them justice. Um, but I would I would have taken a lot of them over the UK. But it's nice to it's nice to sh- to prove to everyone that it's not just everyone's racist against the UK. Okay, well let's uh, go from the UK to you're gay. And this is the Blackpool. <laughs> this is the Blackpool no. football player. I'm sorry. This is a really good story. You are. This no, is, you're gay, so you're allowed to do that. I am. I am. So the Blackpool player, Jake Daniels, who has come out as gay, he is now the UK's only active football player in this country who is also gay and out. He's come out. Yeah. He is uh, the 17. Not the only one who's gay. No way. Right, right, Statistically, right. nope. I'm going to get to that in a second, okay? Yeah. This is, uh, so the 17-year-old uh, Jake had clearly been working on this with his team in, in Blackpool and on Sky Sports right, for a right, long, right. long time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it is testament to that team that they managed to keep this under wraps. Yeah. But he came out, he said, now's the right time to do it. Indeed. I'm ready to tell my story. Um, there's a weight off my family. The stress is gone. Yeah. It was impacting my mental health. Yeah. I'm confident. I'm happy to finally be myself. I've been thinking about it for a long time, about how I want to do it, when I want to do it, now's the time. And honestly, I'm so, so pleased for him because yeah. uh, it's 30 years since the last active player in uh, UK football came out. That it's was mad. Justin Fashionu yeah. in 1990. 32 years. That's crazy. And uh, other than that, there's uh, the Adelaide United player, Josh Cavallo. So there are currently in world football wow, no two way. No players way. I did not know that who one. are out. Now, as you've talked about there, James, statistically, as of, and I looked this up, as of 2019 in the UK, yep. the percentage of people who are who identify as, as gay, is almost 3%. So that's about 1 in 33. Yeah. 1 in 34, if you're being generous. Yeah. Now, now very quickly, uh-huh. uh, that's while it's all super, super, super secret. Uh, that used to be the case that only 2% of people identified as left-handed. So throwing that out there. <laughs> very true. Very true. Okay. So knowing that, according to statistics, it is 1 in 33, 1 in 34 players. Each professional football club has when you include the likes of you know teenagers oh, youth yeah, teams yeah, reserves yeah, yeah. under 21s senior squads means that's a lot that's a lot of players in excess of around about 60 players for the the biggest clubs and in the UK yeah. as well as the premiership the championship the scottish premiership scottish a championship there are something like 18,000 players and you're telling me wow. one of them, only one, one of them, them is gay. Mm-hmm. Statistically impossible, I would right. suggest. <laughs> so this is why, to me, 
this is such a big deal. And I again, I am so it is pleased huge. that a 17-year-old has come out to do this because that takes guts. And he will be faced with abuse from other players, from fans, for the rest of his career. I I can yep. guarantee you that. Abs- yeah, and yeah, so absolutely. being so bold to actually come out and say, yes, you, I am a gay man, is, is really courageous. And uh, that's been echoed by other people. Uh, slightly more famous than this podcast. <laughs> slightly. That being said, football has so much work to do. Uh, yeah, clearly. To get more than two active players in the entire world to come out as gay. I, that's such an unbelievable statement to say. Two players yeah. in the world of football are, are gay. And that's because as a sport, yeah. it still has to deal with a huge amount of of uh, homophobia, of internalised homophobia. Yeah. People who, you know, the likes of Thomas Hitzelsberger, former Aston Villa player, who came out as gay once he retired. Yeah. Because he realised, I can't do this whilst I'm playing. Yeah. And it's such a shame that that is, as we've we've talked about there and as we've highlighted there, statistically impossible for this to be the reality. Yeah. And so like the, the- I really hope that this eventually leads to more and more players coming out to the extent it stops being news. That would be great. So it's just normal, yeah. Let's get, let's get it so that being gay and a footballer is normal. Like, just being gay and anyone is normal. It has to be normal. And, yep. like, it's not treated as normal. As soon as, like, there's gay characters on TV or as soon as, like, there's the news that somebody is gay, all the straights, and I mean some of them, come out and they go, ah, you're shoving it down our throats. How dare you? You don't have to make us such yeah, a big yeah, deal. Yeah. Stop doing it. It's really offensive when you we just make it your whole identity. And it's like, Nope. It's a very important step in normalizing things. Yes, it is. Celebrating them when it is still unusual and still very often repressed. <laughs> but you, And you have to recognize that while it is still, and even though it's not been illegal to be gay for a fair while, uh, it still isn't socially accepted. So while it still isn't socially accepted, yeah, yeah. we need to celebrate it. And that includes anyone out there who doesn't identify as gay. You should be celebrating when you feel like people being gay is very present in the media and very present in sport and very present in the headlines because it means that we are pushing past the times of just stamping it all down and punishing people for existing. And let's hope that... Uh the relatives of Jake Daniels and his family members, oh. uh, you know, actually want to meet his partner because that would be, that would be nice. really nice. Okay, sticking with football, let's talk about Rangers in the Europa League final. Now, dear listener, you you will have time travelled. You will know the score. You will have known if True. the Glasgow Rangers have been successful. Three one win. This <laughs> that's bold, and you're. Sorry, getting way ahead of the chase here. This is the news that I was in the future. In uh, yeah, in excess of uh, eighty thousand. Some people saying up to a hundred thousand oh. supporters. <laughs> all gonna get COVID. Have travelled to Seville in Spain, ahead of what is genuinely one of the biggest matches in the club's history. Which you know, ten years yeah. short history, but hey ho. This is <laughs> hey. <laughs> so this is uh, yeah the Europa League final. Rangers playing against Eintracht Frankfurt. Obviously, only 42,000 of them uh, can get into the stadium yeah. and even less of those are actually allowed to be Rangers fans. Uh, but the hosts in Seville are putting <laughs> yeah. on the game. It's, for, it's 42,000 Rangers fans are going to get in. Nobody else. <laughs> just half of them have to identify as not Rangers fans. Precisely, yeah. Just wear, wear a suit and pretend you're hospitality. So the hosts in Seville are putting on the, the stadium on a big screen in another ground 
in the city. Nice. Uh, and so they're going to go uh, and and watch it there. But the funny thing about all this, uh, James, is if you cast your mind back to 2008, uh, when we were just young things, Rangers were last in a European final uh, all that time ago. I remember it. They lost... And then they kicked off and burned down half of Manchester. True, yeah. The concern this time, and the hilarious thing that's been happening, is that the Rangers social media team have gone into overdrive, posting videos, statements from former (laughs) players, club legends, basically saying, don't Don't let us down. Don't you dare burn anything. You're representing the team. Have a great day, but remember. (laughs) It's not going to happen. This is the thing. And I'll, I'll paint the picture for you non-football fans. And again, if you're listening to this, you'll know the score. But yeah. Rangers, on paper, should win. Yeah. Right? They have beaten bigger, better, more talented teams to get to this final, including yep. German ones, yep. who are better than Frankfurt. Yep. And this is the best chance they will have probably in our lifetime of, <laughs> of playing a European final where they can actually win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best chance. They're going to be in more they're going to be in more finals just right, not against right, right. such a weak team. Precisely. They may well get to more, but it will be against the likes of Barcelona or or bigger teams where they have right. zero chance. Right. So here's my concern and the concern of clearly Rangers hierarchy and <laughs> everyone in Seville <laughs> is that even if Rangers win, it will still yeah. Be a disaster, yeah. Because the fans and the combination of heat and alcohol yeah. and ecstasy, yeah, and ecstasy, <laughs> it's just going to be a toxic combination. I mean, it is, and it's inevitable with a sports win or a loss. Of well, of difference, there there are different sports of different amounts of fans who express their enthusiasm through breaking things. I think football, and that's the soccer kind of football, is pretty high up in the hierarchy of fans who break things. There are. Of course, sports whose fans do not break things and are more chill. When I say all sports in the future, I just mean the the violent ones. Um, It's inevitable. And Celtic just won the league. And Glasgow got wrecked, right? There were some... Uh, Yeah, it did. Some plant... Their plant parties got broken. And people people peed on the streets. And uh, vile, disgusting individuals and like yeah but it's also inevitable stop complaining it's going to get fixed up in two days um if anything terrible happened we got to get the police on it same as what we did when rangers fans broke a whole bunch of stuff last year we just complain and we move on because it happens every time someone wins a league in certain sports it happens in the uk the us every single country so rangers recognizing this and being like oh doesn't matter what happens they're gonna break stuff and just trying to like social media their way out of it they don't actually think it's going to stop anyone they just get to claim that they tried their best to make their fans not do it and they might get less of a fine when it happens to seeing as you already predicted a scoreline let's see if my sorry see one win (laughs) see if my crystal balls are big enough this time i think (laughs) crystal balls are full like as much as i i don't really support rangers i would like them to win so let's go for 2-1 to the oh, Rangers. That okay, being said, just because, you know, I want to put in this caveat, I could well see them just totally collapsing. Complete, complete collapse, <laughs> 6-0 loss. It's either a 3-1 win or a 6-0 loss. That's the two Precisely, options. Precisely, yeah. Either, like, you sneak it or you just lose and that's it. Goodbye. Yeah, so you're saying sneak it, like, your 2-1 is like a 2-1 extra time win. It's a, it's a sneaky, like, hard-fought game. 
What are the chances of penos? Oh, that would be awful. That would be, te- that would be terrible. I'm going to say... Lose on penalties. Oh, if, here, look. If you're playing the Germans at penalties, you are going to lose. <laughs> that is a fact. <laughs> Definitely, definitely quick fire from now. Let's oh, go. Oh, gosh. Okay, here we go. Last stories. Elon Musk oh, no. has said his $44 billion deal to buy Twitter is in jeopardy <gasps> due to a disagreement over the number of fake or spam accounts on the website. He's making up a reason to, to drop out of the deal. I am shocked. <laughs> okay, let's talk about this in just a second. So Mr. Musk has tweeted that the deal cannot move forward unless oh. Twitter gives evidence for its claim that less than 5% of its daily users are fake or spam. Twitter okay. has, of course, defended his figures, adding that Mr. Musk had waived his rights to due diligence to clinch the deal. Yeah. The spat, of he course, has. has raised doubts about the takeover, analysts speculating, and James speculating there, that Mr. Musk may be looking for either a way to get out of it <gasps> or renegotiate the price. So, do, uh, so James, where are we? Well, Elon realized it was a bad buy. <laughs> he overplayed it. Um, and he's got to try and make it profitable now. Um, strangely, I'm not exactly sure what the plays are to make it profitable. I, it might be the idea of like trying to tank the shares so you can buy some. It might have been the idea to inflate while having some purchase and then sell them at the at the peak. Who knows? There's a lot of schemes that Elon does, quite literally wielding Twitter to manipulate stock. It wouldn't surprise me if this was all just a big scheme for him to try and manipulate the stock again, just with Twitter directly. Okay. Um, it's not a good deal. He had to leverage a lot of his businesses to make this deal possible. Put a lot of his shares yeah. in Tesla and other stuff forward. Tesla's had a bit of a share crash. It has. It could keep going. Um, so the deal is getting worse and worse by the day as it, well, <laughs> Twitter's not a valuable company, not really. It's all pretend. It is a bubble. It is going to collapse. It is. Elon knows this. He just put, he just, he just forced it. He forced it too far. He got too excited. He's realized, oh no, I can't, I can't drop this. So he's just going to try and have some public excuse to drop out of the deal. And then he'll pay a small fine because you're not allowed to do that because he did actually lose all of his rights to change the deal after, you know, agreeing to it. Um, and that will be it. Right. And it's just going to be the same as every other time. He's just going to break some rules, pay a fine that to him it means nothing because when you fine people an amount that doesn't affect them, they're just going to accept the fine. Uh, that's that's essentially my tuppence, which is, yeah, he jumped into this deal way too fast, yep. overbid for yep. a company which isn't profitable, has never been profitable, and is now desperately trying to figure a way to get out of it. And whether that's to go to a lower price or, as you say, pay the $1 billion fine. Because you're right, Tesla's stock has dropped off a cliff in the wake of this because he took out loads of shares, converted it to cash, had to get loads of other investments, and people are suddenly waking up to say, well, hold on a second, this isn't just a news story. This is probably not a a good or a savvy business decision. And he's he's not got a good history of good business decisions. His turnover rate is pretty low. It's like Tesla's pretty good, but it's a bubble. It's going to collapse. Um, SpaceX could be good, but it also could be a bubble. It's going to collapse. Most of his other attempts, aside from, like, I guess the early days of eBay, not, not so successful. It's solar panels, roofs, bet. Tunnels under cities, bet. <laughs> He's wasting money left and right. This is just the biggest waste yet. A, a submarine and, to go and get Thai children uh, from a cave. Somehow didn't end his whole whole reputation. Um, <laughs> but... The, but there is still utility for him on Twitter because he is an expert at using Twitter 
to abuse the financial system, to manipulate stocks, to manipulate like ecoin and stuff like that. Um, and I guess if he does end up taking Twitter on, he'll try and do that to get all his money back for uh, two decades, three decades, and then he's dead. Yeah. Nah, he's dead in one decade. I'm calling it now. Elon <laughs> dies in, in okay. a decade. Uh, yes, here we go. Predictions all round on this show. <laughs> let's move on. Neuralink? Blah. Let's talk about... Uh, let's go trailers first before we re- finish up with some reviews, right? Avatar 2. Unbelievable. Never thought I'd see the day when wow, a yeah, trailer for a new Avatar movie would come out. So, it's incredible he, to see it back in. Here, here's people a, love it. Here's a clip for The Way of Water. I know one thing. Wherever we go, this family So I said that with some disdain. James, what did you th- what did you think it's of this? A pretty, it's a pretty good name for a film. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's vague. It's meaningless. People kind of attach whatever they want to it. The trailer was exactly what you'd expect from an Avatar sequel. It just looked like an Avatar sequel. <laughs> it doesn't look like they've got much of a story, but the first one didn't have much of a story. So yeah, it's, it's going to be spectacular, though. I am going to watch this, but only if I can get tickets to watch it on big screen 3D, because... Avatar, the first one, aside from maybe Gravity, was the only film that I actually enjoyed the 3D element of, that I actually got a full experience of a massive screen from. It isn't a a film that is made in artistic ways, and it isn't a film that is made to be like deep and meaningful. It was a spectacle. So I fully expect this one to be as well, and therefore I fully expect it to make an absolute ton of money. And by the viewership of the trailer... It might. The thing is, there's so many articles and think pieces decrying, oh, Avatar's never had a, a social or a cultural impact. And yet, it, you know, it, it did make more money the, yeah. than any other film in history. Despite, it might not have stuck with us, yeah. Right, despite Marvel's uh, best attempts to steal that throne, it did make a lot of money. And sure, it's not the most memorable film in the world. It's fine. It's okay, yeah. It's it's yeah, it's all right. It's not like a bad film, but yeah. unoriginal. And sure, the visuals were cool, but that was about it. it does have Sam Worthington, who is the world's he best be actor in the right role. Fair, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And so, yeah, look, fair enough. It's taken ten years to make this movie, and it does give the film some space to tell a brand new story because now you've well yeah and the and the threequel is going to be right it has been made at the same time filmed at the same time produced so it's going to be two films but (laughs) there must have been some cultural impact because people have watched this trailer a lot people have retweeted it people have liked it people have shared it it's it's it, it got more views than like um the multiverse of madness trailers we're getting yeah. by a long way. Okay, well, let's. Uh, I thought the trailer was fine. Didn't give too much away. It was. It was completely acceptable, yep. and the the VFX look as impressive as you'd expect. Fair enough. Okay, let's move on. Couple more trailers. One of which I am very interested in. It's this one. It's season three of The Boys. This is the Amazon Prime show, which myself and James have watched uh, the first couple seasons off. And here's a clip. We've been on the straight and narrow all year. No killing soups, no drinking, 
even follow Hugh Campbell's orders without strangling him. Now you're just being cruel. Or maybe you're not such an asshole. People have superpowers. But real power isn't this. It's the ability to bend the world to your will. Okay, James, what did you think of the trailer? Seeing as you've literally just watched it. I'm thinking that they have leaned ever more heavily into superhero tropes, and I still think they're doing it the right way. Okay. But there's risk there, because I've seen all of these plots before in other things. We've seen the superhero serum. We've seen... uh, (laughs) Well, we've seen uh, the Winter Soldier. Uh, (laughs) The only thing is how well they do... Uh, job of inverting them in some way again of exposing like how the media works and exposing how campaigns work and all of those slightly clever things that they do behind the facade of like basic superhero shows so I'm hopeful. So here's the thing. I do really enjoy the show. I thought the season one yeah. is terrific. Season two, also very good. Yeah. This one, uh, I mean, that showed a decent amount of, I mean, people exploding to start with. Indeed, lots of violence. But but also, it does start to just lean into stuff. I'm like, oh, do you really have to go that kind way? I've seen it before, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, look, I, I'll watch it because I really do enjoy the show. And even though Carl yeah. Urban's Cockney accent is wild... I think I love it. Homelander and the actor whose name escapes me is who, phenomenal. Who did do something very weird? He assaulted some someone in some tourist oh, destination. Oh, yeah, he's no. kind of reflecting the character a wee bit in real life, like a <laughs> "Don't you know who I am?" type celebrity. Oh, that's sad. Okay, one last trailer, and then let's bring this old horse into the stable. It's the trailer <laughs> and for shoot his brain out. <laughs> The trailer for She-Hulk. I'm Jennifer Walters. I'm a lawyer. I have great friends. Can we get some shots, please? It's an emergency. A demanding job. We just started a superhuman law division, and I want you to be the face of it. And a frustrating family. Because we didn't ask for this, but you still got to deal with it. Your transformations are triggered by anger and fear. Those are like the baseline of any woman just existing. All right, James, uh, this is the new, sorry, I should have said this beforehand, new Marvel TV show, hey. Mark Ruffalo reprising oh. his role as, as Hulk. Wonderful. And uh, the uh, Tim Roth playing Abomination, which I is his like role Roth. from like 15 years ago. He is so James, great. what do you think about this? Uh, I hope they finish the CGI. Uh, she hugs each child like a video game in no, all the worst ways. Um, but yep, no, like... Yep. Um, Oh, I forget her name. Who's who's She Hulk? A uh, lawyer. No, no, no. Name, name, name. Actor. D- could you not tell I was stalling? Lawyer. She is a lawyer in this TV show. <laughs> she <laughs> is a lawyer, <laughs> and she is played <laughs> by the actress who goes by the name. The name she was in that show where she played a whole bunch of clones, but I forget the show's Tatiana, name as well. Tatiana Maslany. She Mansley. goes by the name of Tatiana Maslany. I beat you to it. There we go. Maslany. She is wonderful. She's great. Um, Orphan Black is the show that she was the lead on and she played like all the leads on that show and she played them all with like hints of different character that were so well done and so well executed and so consistent that it blew my mind so if she can bring any sort of level of that depth of acting to the character of She-Hulk 
which is a little bit of a comedic character, kind of the original meta-joke, fourth-wall-breaky character before the likes of Deadpool existed. It could be a very fun show. It's not really going to be tackling anything huge. It's probably going to be the usual Marvel-style show of just it escalates for five episodes and then disappoints you in the last one. <laughs> yep, fair enough. Uh, we'll get to your, your uh, review of Moon Knight in a second. I thought the trailer was fine. I mean, it just seems like another yeah, it was inoffensive Marvel show, which, yeah, sure, I'll watch it because it's inoffensive and has people in it I like and it's made yeah. some, somewhat well. But yes, you're right. Some of the CGI was a bit iffy and I do wonder if they will go back and, and look at some of that, mainly because of the proportions as well. It. I mean, Hulk is enormous and suddenly She-Hulk is just a I am, some sort of yeah. muscle beach babe. Yeah, I'm a bit upset that that She-Hulk is just so feminized. I, I feel like you, you, you they should lean into this idea that you're allowed to have super muscular women, and it's still like yeah, yeah. equally valid. Uh, they could have got they, there was this was their chance to have just not this ultra feminine type character, but they've just kind of made She-Hulk t- tall and sexy. I'd prefer something more interesting. We've seen that in superheroes before, but yeah, the the the, the CGI. I really want changed. The story uh, probably, probably looks like of what Marvel would do. But Tim Roth, if they use him enough, it could be great because he's he's wonderful. He is he is he is wonderful. Okay, James, let's finish up the finish up the show for anyone who is still listening with reviews of what we've been watching. Uh, myself and Graham have finished Breaking Bad season five. It is, I can confirm, still a wonderful show. And uh, Ozymandias, which is the 14th episode of the final season, is just a phenomenal piece of television. That's a good one. Again, to the extent, and I do this sometimes with some movies, I I feel like when the credits roll, I exhale. And even though I've seen that episode before, I couldn't remember how some of it played out. And it was just, it's such a good, such a good Show and I loved yeah. that uh, rewatching that episode and seeing how it all unfolds, how it all falls apart, and yeah, I mean, there of course there's still like loose threads and things you wonder about, and um, it does of course to some people wrap up a little bit too neatly. That being said, it's a fictional TV show. Yeah. I was totally fine with how it ended, and rewatching it again, I was just you know with the knowledge of how it happened and how it unfolded, and watching it for a second time, really. Of just the one of the best shows I have ever seen. It's brilliant. Absolutely. To, there, there's a reason that that show kind of got popular as it went on, which is the opposite of what happens with TV usually. Okay, well, James, you've watched uh, Moon Knight, the Marvel TV show. Can you review it without spoilers? I did. I finished it. Let me let me give you a review. It, it's a show that Marvel made that kind of escalates and increases your interest for five episodes and then disappoints in the last oh. one. Um, I would say the last episode less disappointing than the average fare, but it did have a lot of the Marvel cliches. I don't want to name them because it would be a bit spoilery, but it was a lot of just copy-pasting this kind of thing from that film and this little plot point from that film and put them all in the final episode to resolve things. However, Moon Knight as a character, uh, excellent. Oscar Isaac as acting that character, or, or character or two, I suppose, Excellent. The way they delivered it all, very well done for a Disney show trying to handle a slightly darker story. Uh, Some of the voice work I was really not buying into. I didn't like it. It felt like it was recorded in a home studio, which really removes me from a TV show, which, of course, it maybe was. (laughs) 
and maybe was recorded in a home what studio. What are you saying about my home studio? Um, I mean a bad home studio, though. Um, <laughs> okay. Some of the yeah, so some of the acting, some of the voice acting, not not as good as you'd expect. Some of the like language work, if I can call that out, not as good as you'd expect. But overall, a, a good Marvel show, not one that I would uh, skip if I was rewatching them. I'd watch this one again if I was doing a Marvel rewatch. Um, uh, Oscar Isaac, I'm glad he decided to jump onto another franchise thing, even though he did, he avowed to never do it again after his X Men and Star Wars experiences. Um, I do want to see more of the character. They've left themselves like the ability to have a season two, even though they've not planned it, and even though the cast and crew have all said goodbye to each other on Instagram and stuff. Um, they have left a little hook there with a big hint to future uh, ongoings for the character. So we might see films, we might see the characters appear in films. I would like that very much because it was very well done for a TV show. But... I didn't like the last episode very much. Okay, and my last review, final words, I watched Rock and Roller, which is on Netflix. It's the 2008 Guy Ritchie uh, London crime gang movie, which has a very young-looking Idris Elba, very young-looking Jared Butler, and a very young-looking Tom Hardy. Wow. Uh, Including a a whole range of characters, uh, um, Thandiwe Newton, who plays a character who just disappears and never returns again. Right. And uh, t- Tom Wilkinson playing a big bad Cockney crime boss. It is basically just what you'd expect from a Guy Ritchie crime film. You know, it's okay. by the numbers, it's passable. It has somewhat of a cult following. I don't really understand why. It's it's fine. You know, there's a few lines in there which go, you know, go, uh, go, gave me a wry smile. Right, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. There is one thing I, I would like to talk about, and it kind of threw me to start with, and then afterwards I reflected on it and thought, well, maybe it wasn't that bad a thing at all. Okay. Tom Hardy plays a gangster who is gay. Yes. And he comes out to Jared Butler in a car, and Jared Butler, let's say, reacts pretty horrendously. Right. And uh, it, it did make me think... Um, Maybe not the best of friends that you supposedly were, but he does eventually get back in the car after calling him a dirty bastard. I mean, yeah, and, um, okay. Like, it's a character. And You're he writing a character. I can see that. It depends how they play it off. That's like a realistic response in a lot of ways. And so, so, as long as- right, and so initially, when it, when the scene was unfolding, I was bit, taking yeah, notes and nifty, thinking, yeah. oh my days, this is, this is not good for this, uh, you know, representation. And then... As the film kind of continues, it does redeem itself, okay. and you do see some kind of cutscenes of where the two of them went and and what they did. Right, and it is right. actually on reflection for its time a very positive okay. introduction yeah. of of a gay character. Even though the initial reaction of Jared Butler's character is far from ideal, it is also a reflection of the era in which it was made, and that reaction would have been completely justified and fine and normal and expected. Well, yeah, normal, so, yeah. yeah, look, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, writing those yeah. characters and writing those scenes is the same as you see when you write, like, war films and you've got Nazis in them. You've got to represent it. It's the same as you... <laughs> I watched The Hateful Eight, which I still like, but I don't need to review it because we talked about it before. Yep. And when you see all the racism in that, it's it's what you have to write when you're writing a, a piece like that. It is, it's inevitable. Yeah. You know, you're not going to um, get a... As long as it's done respectfully and well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in a crime gangster movie set in the heart of London, and you're not going to get someone who comes out as gay and the other person being like, that, uh, well done. I'm I am so, just so proud, proud of, you. of I, you. I am emotionally driven at this moment <laughs> to just tell you how amazing you are as a person. Yeah, so, so like genuinely, well-handled Guy Ritchie, you almost fooled me, yeah. you almost had me. Oh, but oh. look, it's will I ever watch it again in my life? No. 
was yeah. it fine for um, a Wednesday evenings entertainment? Yeah, it was fine. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I do have one final thing about oh, Moon Knight. Okay. And it is that I am just still glad to see that uh, the, a show that is introducing non-American slash white adjacent locations, characters, uh, heroes, villains, and all of that hey. is being accepted and is being pushed and is actually not just tanking in the box office or tanking on the internet office um love that another good move almost as if there are audiences who aren't white who want to see themselves represented the the cast and crew well represented um music score all of that well done so and from like from some scottish white guy like yeah (laughs) okay well from two scottish (laughs) white guys at least we take the gay box (laughs) (laughs) that is it for the show thank you so much if you are still listening really do appreciate it i trust you've enjoyed it you've learned something and if you would like to contribute something, then you can get in touch with us at Cecil Parade on Twitter, yeah. gmail.com. Review review something. Have you finished a film, TV show, an episode, a, a book? Or maybe you made like a really good value meal. Has your pet been to the vet? <laughs> have you... Review the vet. Have, may, <laughs> review the pet. Do you have an opinion on the queen? Is she dying? Do you have the inside scoop? Let us know. <laughs> Is she already okay. dead? They released a video for a train station, but they could have pre-recorded that. <laughs> Has you been replaced by a clone? If you're in QAnon, let us know. Okay, James, thank you very much. No. We'll chat to you next week where there's hopefully less news. We'll see. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. And uh, we'll see if Rangers got pumped. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>